Welcome to Sage Bay Belconnen. You're about to hear a message from Pastor Nikhat. to continuing this short series on prayer and in particular we're focusing in on some of the things we can learn from Jesus about prayer. Not a bad place to start but I have some scary news for you as we get going. Something to um, you know put things in perspective. It is if you're you know listening to this uh, either in Gungahlin or online on the day that it's released it is two months till Christmas right. It's October 25th. Uh, so it's two months till Christmas and some of you that's putting you in a cold sweat. Uh, others uh, are thinking, great, I can start putting up the Christmas tree. There's all sorts of things floating around in your minds. But maybe you can come with me on a journey way back to those moments of waking up as a kid in the early hours of Christmas morning and the sense of expectation that is building in you. You know, there is uh, a lot of expectation in our worlds for different things, but I don't know if anything trumps that peak in our early lives as, as maybe kids expectant on Christmas morning. And largely that comes out of what we know is, is heading our way. It comes most likely out of the knowledge that there's a relationship. You know, if, you, if you've moved past, and spoiler alert here, if you've got little kids listening to this, you know, maybe just earmuff them for a second. You know, once you move past the Santa Fe's and you understand where things come from, maybe you're thinking, right, it's this sense of expectation because, hey, I know my family loves me. Maybe I know there's things coming to me. Nice people are going to bless me over this season. And expectations an amazing thing. It can wake us up early in the morning. It can make us anticipate things to a greater degree. And I found when I think about it, there's a couple of things that, that heighten expectation in our world. The first thing is, is a relationship. If I know who someone is uh, and how they feel about me, then that will affect the level of expectation. If I think they don't like me at all, then there's going to be one kind of expectation. If I think they think I'm fabulous and maybe it's my birthday, then wow, there's a different level of uh, expectation there. The other thing is, is somebody's nature. Are they a, a, a generous person? Are they kind? What's their nature? That'll affect the, uh, you know, the level of expectation in my world. And, and I was fascinated as I've, I've read into the way Jesus prayed and studied that over the years. And, and, and we even alluded to this last week, that there's a powerful uh, focus on expectation when Jesus talks about prayer. That itself might be quite transformative for you because you might have approached prayer as something that you do almost like sending an email, wondering if it's going to get a response, firing off a text message, not sure how it's going to be received. But we find in Luke 11 and, and also in Luke 18, when we look at another story Jesus told, um, and, and plus, you know, read more broadly around this, but Jesus teaches his disciples and us to this day to pray with a sense of powerful expectation. Not to pray as those who are distant and removed from God, wondering if he's going to hear, wondering if he's going to pay any attention, but to pray uh, in a specific way because of our relationship with God and because of his nature. And these things together create an amazing sense of expectation. We're supposed to pray knowing that God is who he says he is. Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 11, says that's actually what faith is. Faith is is believing that God is who he says he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, right? That, that we can come before him expectantly, knowing that he is good, that he cares, that he hears, that he listens. 
This might be radical information to you. Later on, there'll be a chance for you to maybe respond to that new information to say, wow, that changes everything. An idea for me that God knows me and that he cares, that he loves me. That changes everything. Not a removed, distant, formal relationship, but personal, real, deep and near. You can walk in a relationship with God if you aren't already doing that. So let's talk about prayer and expectation. Let's have a look in Luke chapter 11, where we started out last week, and then also in Luke chapter 18. Now in Luke 11, we we see this passage that we looked at last week. The disciples say to Jesus, teach us how to pray. What a great question. I probably would have said, Jesus, how do you do these miracles? Tell me some of your key public speaking tips. Thankfully, at least someone amongst the disciples was smart enough to say, teach us how to pray. What we have immediately following that is what's often known as the Lord's Prayer. You might have that playing in your mind right now from early childhood days where you've learnt that in a a really religious form perhaps. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Some of you came along with me uh, on that journey. In Luke's gospel, often in, in most of your translations, it might be shortened somewhat. Uh, it's, it's a little bit lengthier uh, often in Matthew's gospel, but it depends on the translation that you, you've got right in front of you. So Jesus gives his disciples this sort of model prayer in a way. And, and, I'll, and I'll come back to have a little look at that uh, in, in a second. There's also some instructions for prayer at the, at the end of this particular uh, passage as Jesus talks about Asking and keep on asking, seeking and keep on keeping on seeking tells us that, that God is good. And if we who are inherently messed up human beings know how to be good, how much greater is God? How much more does God act in a generous, kind way towards us? But these two passages here the, the, around prayer, both this little passage starts and ends with this key thought. This key thought of God as our Father. Now, that is so important for us to start there when it comes to a prayerful life. Not God as distant and removed, but God as close and real and personal. And now, look, I know for some people there might be tension or challenges or disappointment around the idea of, of a relationship with a Father. Uh, but but I, I want you to understand God as a perfect Heavenly Father. Think of what a Father in relationship could and should be. And that's the way we're called to see God. And it's interesting that, of course, Jesus could, could speak to God as his father. But he's teaching us and his disciples there how to pray to God as father. You know, this means God is not an employer. This is not a transactional thing, prayer. God is not our servant, right? This is not a level of demand that we put on God. God is not just our friend. So this is not just a casual thing, prayer. It's intentional communication. And God is not like one of our devices. It's not like talking to Siri. It's not like a, an unrelational, unemotional connection. A fathering relationship is key to understanding or one of the ways that we can approach God in prayer. Uh, it, it also, if you, if you look around the nuances of the wording here, our Father, it, it challenges us to see our, ourselves in a position as children of God, but also that we're a part of the family. We're not only children. We're not orphans. We're not off on our own, but we're a part of God's family. Prayer is a corporate thing. That's why we're going to be praying and fasting this week together. Sometimes we judge prayer just by what it feels like in our world, but we're called to pray for others, on behalf of others, with others, and see what God wants to do in our midst. 
I believe in as we pray and fast together this week, yes, there might be key things we're focused on on certain days. There might be needs and things in your world. But can I challenge you to just cry out to God, believing that He is good. Ask Him to move in your heart, to, to soften you, to stir you up perhaps. Just get expectant about a growing relationship with your Heavenly Father. Now, I don't have time today to dive into the Lord's Prayer. That could be some great homework. Maybe you want to talk about it in your connect group over coming weeks, in your family around the table. Grab some friends. Study it yourself. Have a look at that prayer. What can you learn about the way Jesus specifically taught the disciples as one model of prayer there? But I want to just start off with some of the stories Jesus told about prayer. Now, in this passage, in verse 5 of Luke 11, Jesus begins to unpack this parable. And he says, teaching them more about prayer, he told them a story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for your friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need. Here's the word we fo- the phrase we focused on last week. Because of your shameless persistence, right? Because of shameless persistence. It's a, it's a funny thought here. And here's a question for you. Who is this parable about? Is this about the seeker, the one who's chasing the loaves of bread? Or is it about, is it about the sleeper, the one who's being awoken in the middle of the night? I think by default, we put ourselves in the story and Jesus says, imagine if you went off praying. Imagine if you were seeking a, a friend's attention because someone had, had shown up at your doorstep. And so we put ourselves and we think, okay, what can we learn about the seeker? Their shameless persistence, their diligence, their refusal uh, to give up. But there's an, there's an interesting other aspect to this story. Really, this story is about two things. It's about persistence and it's also about honor. Let me tell you about the honor side of it. It was an expectation in culture in those days that if a traveler, if a visitor came through, they would be provided for. Not only was this incumbent on the individual or the household where this traveler showed up, more often than not, the way a guest was treated was a reflection on the entire village. So there is almost a collective sense of honor at stake in this position. That's why this man, that's why we're, we you know, told this story about someone banging on a friend's door at midnight because it is unthinkable that this guest, this traveler would not be provided for. So there's a sense of powerful honor here at play. But, but I want to talk about this sense of persistence. This, this is not just based on arrogance. It's not just, hey, you need to provide my need. There is a certain rightness about this request. There, like I said, there's this honor at stake and there's a reason, a good reason for this persistence, not just demanding or arrogance, but because it's the right thing to do. Isn't it interesting, Jesus uses this kind of example when he talks about uh, the confidence we need to have in coming to God in prayer. That This is something God asks of us. He asks us to come to him in prayer to present our requests, not just to be self-focused. Of course, there are caveats around that. But some people begin from a place of hesitation around prayer. Let's throw that out the window. Come confidently before God, not arrogantly, but, but boldly because of who God is as a loving father. You can come expectantly to God because of your relationship with him. It's right that you can come to God in prayer. You know, it's interesting if you read through some of the commentaries about this passage, there's another way to understand that sort of idea of persistence, right? 
this sense that the prayer was answered, uh, you know, because of a sense of honor and because of a sense of persistence at stake. But the word persistence here can actually be applied um, to, and, and it's, it's interesting to say theologians are a bit divided on who it applies to. We often read it as applying to the persistence, right, the shameless persistence of the asker. But there's a way of reading this where it actually applies. It says because of, and then this word, shameless persistence, which can also be translated as the avoidance of shame. Because of this, the request is answered. So the request can be answered not just because of our persistence, but because of the nature of the one who is being requested of. Let me, that sounds a little complicated. Let's kind of journey on that together. This is why a theologian wrote it in, in a commentary I was looking at. The literary structure of the entire parable makes it possible this quality of persistence or of shame avoidance is applied to the sleeper. Thus, the parable can tell of a sleeping neighbor who will, to preserve his honor and grant the host's request, um, do the right thing. Even so, we can come before God with much more reason to be assured that our requests will be answered. Isn't that a fascinating? There's reputation at stake. God is good. He is who he says he is. He's not just fickle. He doesn't just decide some days to answer prayer and other days not. God is always listening. He hears our cries. He hears our prayers. It is a part of his very nature that he expects us to come to him in prayer and that same level of expectation can grow in our hearts because he is good and he hears and he wants to answer prayer there's another parable a few of them actually in luke 18 that you can have a look at as well one of them is is uh, easier to read uh, it's about a pharisee and a tax collector and it's a direct contrast and and in luke 18 jesus makes the point hey it's not about the impressive prayer of the religious person but have a look at the heartfelt humble prayer of, of the broken sinner, the tax collector, the person who's actually we're more like. He says, pray like that. That's one that you can read and, and have a little look at. And it's a little more obvious at first sight. But there's another confusing parable about prayer here at the start of Luke chapter 18. It says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show they should always pray and never give up. Remember that sense of persistence again. There was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while. You see, judges in those days, well, it wasn't a particularly honorable position. They would be influenced by the authority and power of the people asking the requests, and bribes were even possible. Now, this widow didn't have anyone to make the request on her behalf, and she had no money, so she was right down the bottom of the chain. So all she had to apply was persistence. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Another funny story relating to prayer. Thankfully, Jesus helps us with a bit of an insight at the end there. But how strange a widow coming before an unjust judge who doesn't care about her, but purely because of her persistence, he answers her request and, and gives her justice. What a strange way. Do we, do we approach God like an unjust judge? Are we like a, a powerless widow coming before this harsh and distant and removed and, and, and you know, non-caring entity? 
Well, well no, actually, because it seems like such an unspiritual, harsh story to illustrate prayer. And, and in a lot of ways, that's the point. What's going on here is Jesus is using a parable to make a contrast. When laid against the relationship of intimacy, of, of, of family closeness that we have with our Heavenly Father, then we see the contrast even greater and we should be more encouraged to come before God. If a powerless widow can come before an unjust judge and receive mercy and receive justice, how much more so can those who God loves come to their Heavenly Father in a persistent, honoring, excited attitude of prayer and expect to receive from God? This is a complete counterpoint. Our relationship with God is the opposite of a powerless widow and an unjust judge. But I tell you what, I know a lot of people who do, that's almost how they pray, as if they are powerless and God is unjust, as if they have no, should have no expectation of God answering or moving on their behalf. But how much more so if we understand our relationship with God and if we understand His nature, His goodness, can we come to God expectantly? This perseverance grows not out of just our determination to wear God down, but because He loves you. You can come confidently and persevere and continue in prayer because God is a good God and He loves you. You know, both of these parables give us this contrast between man and God, contrast between our ways and God's ways. We, we're even given that contrast directly back at, in Luke chapter 11 after that teaching on prayer and Jesus uh, begins to talk about uh, that even uh, you know, earthly fathers won't give their children a, a stone, when they, you know, a, a rock or a stone instead of uh, fish when they ask for it. If we ask for something good, they won't, you know, for a loaf of bread, sorry. If we ask for a fish, they're not going to give us a, a scorpion or a, or a snake, right? Fish and, and bread were considered some of the staples of life, whereas, you know, things like the stony landscape that they lived in and the scorpions and snakes were hazards to be avoided. God, God is a good, loving father, far greater than even the best examples of earthly fathers. So how much more so? Can we, who are inherently broken, if we can expect and provide good things to other humans, how much more so will God to his children? We can understand God as our loving, gracious, heavenly father. Ultimately, when Jesus is teaching his disciples and teaching us about prayer, there's a call to expect God to be who he is. There's a call to expect, that's what faith is, we said before in Hebrews chapter 11. Expect God to be God. You know, on that Christmas morning when the kids wake up, they're expecting the benefactors, parents or, you know, guys in red and white suits to, to, to be generous, to be a blessing. When our kids come out in the morning looking for breakfast, it's not like, oh gosh, I wonder if it's gonna, we're going to get breakfast today. They know we love them, we care for them, we want to provide for them. They come expectantly, sometimes a little too expectantly, a little too demanding. But these are imperfect analogies, right? But it's a challenge to come expectantly because of God's nature and because of our relationship with Him. It's important to note in these parables, one is about our requests, things that matter to us. One is made, requests made on behalf of others. Hey, prayer is not just self-centered. Prayer is something we engage in communally. Prayer is something we engage in on behalf of others. This week as we pray and fast, let's seek God for our, our family and friends that we want to see come to know Him. Let's seek God for our community. Let's lift up our leaders in our city and in our nation. Let's 
pray for the poor and the downtrodden, the brokenhearted, those who are suffering and in grief. Let's see the needs in our own world and cry out to God for those. But let's lift others up. Let's pray together. Let's make this an incredibly powerful time because I've got good news as we head into this week of prayer and fasting. God is listening and he is keen to act. I want to say one final time, our expectation and confidence in prayer comes not from who we are, but who God is comes not from our worthiness. Our expectation grows because of His nature, His goodness, and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. I want to pray for you as we get ready to finish up, wherever you find yourself at, believing that the Holy Spirit's going to lead you forward in prayer this coming week. Father, thank you so much that, that you even want to help us to pray. You want to help us to, to relate to you. Holy Spirit, would you lead us forward? Would you challenge and convict us in our lives this week as we want to grow in prayer? Lord, would you stir our hearts towards others to seek uh, their good, Lord, to cry out to you for those that we love and care about, people in tough situations, lifting up leaders in our city and our nation, Lord, praying, interceding on behalf of others. And I thank you, uh, Lord, that, that you're calling people to yourself even now in this moment. There are people whose idea of you has been radically transformed. Prayer is going to be the new bedrock of their life. They're not going to come fearfully towards a distant God, but expectantly towards a loving Father. Jesus, transform us this coming week. Transform us even in this moment as we pray together. I thank you for what you're doing, that we're going to celebrate together. You are good, Lord, and we love you. We come expectantly towards you, our Heavenly Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to our latest Sunday message. If you would like to find out more about our church, visit www.c3belconnen.org.au.